0: Hello and welcome to the podcast. My name is Dr. Louise and today we are talking about why you need to mourn the loss of the toxic person. Now I know it sounds a little bit weird. (laughs) It sounds weird to mourn the toxic person. Most likely because the toxic person in your life is probably still alive, right? That might not be true for all of us, but You know, this this becomes the weirdest when you need to mourn a living person, right? It seems like if we're going to be sad that this person isn't in our lives and it's still an option, it's still like physically possible for us to have that relationship, why wouldn't we just like go back to the relationship? You know, I think survivors sometimes resist mourning. The loss of the relationship they had with the toxic person because they're worried that if they acknowledge that sadness, if they acknowledge that loss, that somehow means that they need to reach back out to the toxic person. That somehow means acknowledging that they did something wrong in going no contact. And, you know, I just don't think that that's true. I understand where that's coming from. Like, it, it makes sense to me, especially if we're you know, still kind of a struggling survivor trying to feel confident in our decision to go no contact or to go low contact, right? Like I understand why it's scary to entertain any feelings that might be critical of your choices. However, I don't think that mourning the loss of the relationship is a criticism of your decision to let go of that relationship, Okay, let me repeat that. I don't think mourning the loss, acknowledging the loss and the pain associated with losing that relationship is a criticism of your choices. We can choose to do something because it's the right thing and also feel sad that that's the choice we had to make. Okay, we can hold on to both of those. They're not mutually exclusive. I have had to make lots of choices in my life that it turns out like I felt kind of sad about, right? Like when I, when I divorced my, my ex-husband, I I procrastinated the crap out of that. <laughs> like, whoo! I don't know why. It was very easy to do the paperwork. I just procrastinated and procrastinated. And it's like, I didn't want, I, I didn't, like I knew it was the right thing. I was already living away from him, right? We were separated for a while. I was already living as though we were divorced. I barely talked to him, but there was something about like that final decision point that felt like I was acknowledging that I had failed or that something was bad or wrong. And that wasn't true. It was a good thing that I divorced my ex-husband. It was, there was nothing about that final paperwork that was a criticism of me or my past choices. I still felt sad about it, I still would have preferred to live in a world where I didn't, you know, I didn't exist as a divorced woman. I would have preferred that if I could choose anything I wanted. But in this situation, that was the right thing. And I could feel sad. Okay, so this need to mourn the loss of the toxic person comes from, I think that that nerve that those nerves around like, well, if I acknowledge I'm sad, then I must be doing something wrong. And I really want to challenge that. I want to challenge that idea. I want you to think about mourning the loss of the relationship with a toxic person as a necessary part of the survivor journey. Okay, it's it's the same way. Sometimes we have to make those decisions to set boundaries. Sometimes we have to make decisions not to participate in certain family events. Sometimes we have to make decisions not to share a whole story with our friends or family. Those are all difficult parts of the survivor journey. Finding time, giving yourself permission, looking for new ways to mourn what you lost when you decided to change the relationship with a toxic person needs to be on that list of like, I expect that this has to happen. I acknowledge that this needs to be part of my journey. I think a lot of survivors get tripped up on their healing journey because they don't want to mourn the loss of the toxic person they want to just push forward and push forward like, I just want to move on. I just want to be done with this. I'm just over this. I don't want to be thinking about this. I don't want to be about this anymore. Right. They get really involved in all of those feelings. And as a result, they, they try to stuff down those feelings of sadness. And the, this is not a sustainable way to try to be a thriving survivor. A thriving survivor is somebody who's really, taking a good hard look at all the big feelings that are coming up. They've spent time with them. They're learning to work with those feelings rather than trying to shove them in a box. So in today's episode, I've got a couple points I, I want you to keep in mind as you're thinking about like, okay, do I need to mourn the loss? What would it mean to mourn the loss of a toxic person? And the, you know, these are some points that really served me on my journey. And I want, I want to share them with you. Um, And, you know, I I want, I want to remind you that being able to be sad is hard. It's hard. Probably as a survivor, you have had to like toughen up. Like, I'm not sure I like that language, but like you've had to really kind of not acknowledge a lot of your feelings. We can't do it, right? Toxic people don't allow it we don't have any space to exist around toxic people which means our feelings don't have any space to exist. So, being sad is a vulnerable activity, right? It's vulnerable. It means maybe we did something wrong, right? We talked about that some. It means, you know, maybe I'm not fully in control and like, you know, am and- have a stiff grip on all of my feelings all the time. Cause sometimes when we're sad, like we cry, we do things that are inherently vulnerable. In my experience, survivors struggle to be vulnerable. It's really hard. It's we've been taken advantage of when we've been vulnerable in the past and we learned vulnerability is not for us. That's somebody else's business. (laughs) Like We're just going to be real stiff and we're just going to get through the things like we have to get through. And that's totally okay. That's part of the process. But in our goal here to be a thriving survivor, we need to find ways where we can safely be vulnerable. And that's a big part of what we need to do when we're mourning the loss of the toxic person. So, you know, the first big point I want to make is to really say like, okay, yes, your situation with the toxic person was bad. It was bad. I trust that if you're a survivor, if you're listening to my podcast, you are probably well aware that you were in an abusive situation with a toxic person. You are intimately aware of how much pain and sorrow and badness that brought into your life. Okay. You, you know, at this point that you were treated badly. Okay. What you might not know is that you're allowed to to cry about that. You're allowed to be overwhelmed by sadness at all of the things you lost when you were being abused. Okay? It's okay to acknowledge that this relationship was bad. It can be that can be true and you can be sad. Okay? It's not like being sad means that the relationship was good. Sometimes I think we we work ourselves up as survivors into this place where we believe that, you know, if I'm sad about losing something, then the thing I lost must have been good. And like, that's, that's just not true. Sometimes we're sad about losing something, even if it was a really mixed bag, or it was like mostly bad, <laughs> right? Like my, I would say my relationship with my mother was just bad. I don't think I have a single happy memory with my mother. I don't have a single one. Um, there are some memories I have where she was there and wasn't the center of everything. So she was kind of like neutral, but she's like a background character in those episodes, right? I I don't have, I don't have, there was nothing good there. I can't I can't think of anything good. But that doesn't mean that I wasn't really sad to have to go no contact with my mother. Right, I was still sad. I was I was still sad. It's a sad thing. It's a sad thing when a daughter has to decide voluntarily that they are no longer going to have a person in their life fulfilling the mother role. That will always be sad. Okay, it's not necessary that I'm sad because it was good. I'm sad because this is a situation that no daughter should be in. I'm sad because it's unfair that I had to experience those things. I'm sad because I'm not going to have my mom at my wedding, right? Or, you know, my future wedding. Like I'm, I'm sad. I'm sad about these things. Um, but it doesn't mean that it was, it was good, right? (laughs) Like the relationship could be a total piece of trash. It could be abusive. It could be bad. It could be maybe your situation is not as severe as it was with my mother. And you actually have some good memories. Like that's how I am with my father. I have authentically good memories with my father, um, I think they were a little bit more messed up than I appreciated at the time, but I'm still going to say I have authentically good memories with him. That makes it weird now that I'm no contact, right? So I feel sad about having to be no contact with my father. I would prefer that we could have lived in a space where those happy memories exist, but it's also just not, it's not true. That's not the way we were existing. That's not the reality that I had. So I I can feel sad that I had to go no contact and still be 100% confident that no contact was the right thing to do, okay? That is such an important point, okay? I really want you to take a second and think about that. And while you're doing that, we're gonna hear a word from our sponsor. Okay, so the next point I wanna make is even if the thing that you lost when you set that boundary with a toxic person was just the idea of that person, it it still is a loss, okay? So this is especially um, true of people who had romantic partners who were toxic. You know, we often say, like, I fell in love with the idea of the person, right? We th- when we're confronting the reality of, like, what was living with this person like day to day, it's, like, pretty clear that this was, like, some kind of nightmare, Right. Like it's, it's easier to be like, yeah, it's a really good choice that I I'm not around that anymore. But sometimes when we change our relationship with a toxic person, we're really confronted with the fact that like, even though that person was treating us with like crap, we were really into the idea of that person. We saw their potential we imagined that they were going to be a certain sort of way. And even though we had lots of evidence through living with a toxic person that they are not that person, we were still clinging to that idea. We still had that goal of someday, maybe this person's going to grow into who I want them to be. Right. That is really challenging when you're you're going no contact right because yeah you're kind of confronted with okay like the the reality of living with this person was crappy but your idea of that person was never very connected to how they were actually treating you Right, You had a vision of this relationship. You had a vision of this person in mind. And when you decide to go no contact or low contact or just change the relationship dynamic, you have to acknowledge that you're never going to have that idea that you built in your mind. You're never going to get to know that perfect version of this person. You're you're never going to be able to hold that person's hand. You're never going to have that person be the one that shows up for you at, at graduation. Right. I was confronted with this with, with my father. and So this isn't exclusive to romantic relationships. Right. Like I, I wanted my father to be the kind of person who would um, support my academic stuff. Like this is so freaking crazy, guys. Right. Like th- this dude has a Ph.D. OK. My father has a Ph.D., and I'm getting a PhD, you know, like I'm in grad school right now. I have my PhD but at the time I was in grad school and I was like, surely my father, the man who actually went through grad school himself a while ago, you know, surely he's going to be able to show up and support me in the things that I'm doing. And I, I cannot tell you the, the depths of pain that I experienced when I realized that was not the case. In fact, my father hated he hated the fact that I was smart. He hated the fact that I was smarter than him. I mean, I'm I'm objectively smarter than him. Just, just so you know, I'm objectively smarter than him and that comes from my like I studied arguments and he he didn't. So, when we would make when we would get into a discussion where an intellectual argument was important, like my skill set was very um, overbuilt compared to, to his own skill set in and, and that way. And he hated that. He would freak out. There would be fights. He would try to throw my field under the bus, right? I'm a philosopher. So he would be like, philosophy is semantics, which is like a way to say that philosophy is just playing with words. It doesn't have any real meaning, which is like a really quick way to like get into a fist fight with a philosopher. <laughs> like We don't like those kinds of comments. It's very frustrating. It's it's BS. It's not true. But like he knew that he was just trying to get the conversation to be, you know, a a space where we were calling each other names so that he didn't have to confront the fact that he didn't know how to answer the questions I was asking him. And you know, in grad school, I was getting better at these things. I I was getting more sophisticated. I was getting better at understanding arguments. I was getting better at understanding why the things he liked to say were very intellectually sound were not actually very intellectually sound. You know, I was getting better at it. And I thought that my father who had trained me my whole life to think and value education would like that about me. And that was not true. It just wasn't true. It triggered his insecurities and he couldn't show up as my father in those moments. He showed up as a toxic person who was triggered, you know, like that, that's all I got to see. And so in my mind I had this vision of what my father was going to be like. I had my vision of, you know, cause at the beginning of grad school, I had to move my father out to the part of the country I'm in. He, he was originally in California and I had this vision of like, okay, it's going to be like, I kind of got like, You know, I got scholar dad at home and he's going to help take care of me and support me in my studies and I'll be able to talk about, oh my God, I was wrong. (laughs) None of that happened. That was, that was such a pipe dream. And I did not, I did not appreciate that. And as I had to go no contact, I really had to acknowledge that like, you know, that, that was just a pipe dream. That was just some interesting, beautiful vision I created in my mind that was never going to be reality. My father's not the kind of person who could have lived up to that. You know, it's just, it's just not, not what he is. So yeah, I lost the idea of my father when I went no contact in this way. I lost the idea of having coming from like a family that had some scholars in it. Not all of my, not all of my family by any means had, um, you know, PhDs or anything, but there's some people on my mother's side did and my father did. And I was like, okay, we're part of a lineage. Like this is great. I was wrong. I was wrong. (laughs) I was so wrong. But you know, I really needed to take time to acknowledge that I was wrong and feel really sad about being wrong. I still feel sad about it. This isn't a one and done process. It's still sad for me to, to reflect on how much disappointment there was for me. And there is in the fact that my father just fundamentally didn't really want me to get a PhD. He didn't really want me to get smarter. He didn't really want me to be better at arguing. He didn't want that. He wanted to be able to play like this, this kind of intellectual tennis where he always won, right? That's what he wanted. And uh, that's not what he got, that's not what he got. And I suffered because that's not what he got since it made me realize that a lot of things I thought were true about my father were false. And I get to mourn, you know, I need to mourn. It's, I couldn't heal if I didn't take some time to be sad about that. It's okay that, you know, um, when I think about the reality of the day to day with my father, like my life is just vastly better. I don't have people screaming at me. I don't have people demanding I do all their chores. I don't have anybody telling me that all of my studies are a piece of crap. You know, things are a lot better. But that doesn't mean that it's not still sad that I lost the idea of my father in this way uh, when I went no contact. So for you, even if the thing that you lost was primarily the idea of the person, like that, that still needs to be more. You were still doing a lot of work. You were still putting a lot of your heart into that idea, even if it never really matched your day to day experience. Okay, so that was my second point. The third point here is, you know, kind of taking a look at what happens if we don't do this work, if we don't allow ourselves to feel the sad, when we bury those feelings, you know, sometimes we will bury the sadness because it doesn't make sense, right? We should feel happy because we got an abusive person out of our lives, right? So we, we tend to think like, okay, feeling sad doesn't make sense here, So we're like, okay, if it doesn't make sense, I'm not going to do it. And we shove it into the box. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to give you a secret. (laughs) Okay, Here's a really big secret. I'm a philosopher, right? I am very dedicated to reason and rationality. I have spent decades learning how human beings can do stuff to, to make sense of things, right? How we, how it can be logical. Feelings don't have to make sense in order to be valid. Okay, Let me repeat that. Feelings don't have to make sense in order to be valid. I think that feelings and reason are friends. They go together. But sometimes feelings will naturally arise independent of reason you know, it's, we're human beings. We're human beings. We got all this like body chemistry going on. We live in the world. We have like arms and legs and feet and hearts. And, you know, we've got all this like physical stuff. That's not really about reason, right? I mean, biology, there's reasons that you have an arm and a foot and stuff, but you have all of this stuff going on in your body all of the time. And sometimes feelings just arise out of all of that physical stuff going on the chemicals are going on in your body and and a feeling will arise. Feelings don't necessarily come from reason and rationality. Sometimes they do, right? We can reason about stuff and that can help us realize something and that realization can evoke a feeling in us. But feelings can completely exist on their own. You don't have to validate your feelings by explaining that it makes sense that you have that feeling, you are allowed to have feelings just because you have feelings. You don't have to explain it. You don't have to talk about it. You don't have to, you know, write a a little logic proof in order to show that you should have this feeling. You don't need any of that. Even if you think that you're like you're feeling sad, you know, and it doesn't make sense. And you don't know why, and it's kind of scary. I just want you to take a deep breath. And I want you to remember that letting yourself feel that feeling, even if it's scary, right? Letting yourself feel that is in the long term going to help it dissipate. The more you push it away, the more you try to deny it, the more you try to convince yourself you're not feeling that because it doesn't make sense, the more you're gonna struggle the longer it's going to take you to get to that thriving survivor stage. Okay, so we want to remember, even when we're feeling the things and we think they don't make sense, even when we're convinced that I should be happy because I got rid of a toxic person in my life, and you know, maybe we're not feeling happy, I want you to remember it's okay that it doesn't make sense. Most likely at some point in the future, you will have a better understanding of why you were feeling the things that you were. But even if you don't, it's okay to just have those feelings. And I'm going to say it's actually critical if you want to get to the thriving survivor stage, it is critical that you allow yourself to feel the things that maybe don't make sense. Okay, we want those feelings to come into you. You want to let them move through you. You are not your feelings. That feeling is coming to visit you. It's okay if it doesn't explain to you why it's here. You know, offer it some tea, let it sit in the room for a while, and then politely show it on its way when it's time to go. Okay, that that is the ticket. That's what's going to help you mourn the loss of the toxic person. Try not to judge it. Try to just let the feelings come and go and be at peace with the idea that sometimes our feelings just don't make sense. Right. As a philosopher, I give you permission. I give you permission. <laughs> it is a-okay that sometimes they just don't make sense. Now, you know, at, at the beginning we talked about why like feeling sad, this kind of mourning stuff can be really hard because it requires vulnerability it requires us like showing to ourselves that maybe we're not fully in control of it. it 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 requires us going out on a limb a little bit and putting ourselves in a place where we might not be able to manage every single aspect of the situation getting comfortable with vulnerability is a key part to healing i swear to you that the day i learned how to be more vulnerable and started putting that into action is the day that like my healing journey started advancing in an exponential way. Vulnerability really is key. I work with my clients to increase their vulnerability while honoring where they are on the survivor journey. You cannot go ham at vulnerability fresh out of a toxic relationship can't do it. It's not safe. It's not a good idea. It's a bad idea. I promise. <laughs> okay. There's, there's different ways we need to exercise vulnerability when we're moving through the survivor journey. And that's a really powerful place to, to work with a coach, right? Like I have made those mistakes so that you don't have to. I'm you know I'm currently accepting new clients. So if you're ready to feel these big feelings, you know I just encourage you to head over to my website, is empowermentthroughthought.com. You can click on the work with me tab. You will learn more there about what it's like to work with me. And you know, I would be so honored if I could work with you specifically on vulnerability and really finding ways where you can safely acknowledge the sadness and engage in that mourning that you really do deserve on your survivor journey. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening today and I will catch you guys in the next one. Bye-bye.